The Library of Congress, which dates to Thomas Jefferson, is marching resolutely into the digital age. Recently, it released a new five-year digital plan. To better understand this initiative, I spoke with the library's director of digital strategy, Kate Zward. Well, libraries are undergoing a revolution in how we provide um, information. Um, and so the digital strategy discusses that, but it's also inclusive of our work with the United States Copyright Office, um, with the National Library Service for the Blind and Physically Handicapped, and with the Congressional Research Service. So it actually um, is inclusive of all the activities at the library. It sounds like the library is something, instead of people going to the library, the library goes to the people. That's the idea. We want to be where people are asking questions. So not only do we want to welcome people to our amazing building with our world-class experts at the re- in the reading rooms, we want people to be able to access the information from the comfort of their own homes using the channels that they're most familiar with. Now, the Library of Congress already has a fairly deep digital collection. It's been building for, I think, probably a decade or so now. It does. Yeah, I think we have 160 million items online. So it's a very extensive, but of course, we're always hoping for more. And it's not just books, right, that you preserve? Yeah, we have um, the world's largest collection of sound recordings, of uh, motion pictures, of maps. We have 5.5 million maps in the collection. So there's really something for everyone. And just briefly describe the relationship between the archives and the Library of Congress. The Archives is our sister agency in the United States. So the library collects um, published books, manuscript collections, while the Archives uh, collects the um, records of the United States government. So the works of the government, uh, military records, that sort of thing. And the Library of Congress doesn't collect every single recording and movie ever made. It's somewhat selective, correct? That's right. Yeah, we get that question a lot. Does the library have all the books? Um, But actually, we collect selectively based on collection development policies. So we have subject matter experts in different fields, so like sports and recreation or U.S. history, who decide what are the most um, important things to round out the collection. Yeah, so it could be said that it, it embodies the canon of American art. Yeah, there are some um, there are some areas that we like to collect uh, pretty con- comprehensively on, um, but it's really supposed to be uh, intended to be a record of America's creativity and knowledge. All right, so you have a digital strategy, a new five year plan, if you will. What are some of the initiatives going on to make that digital strategy a reality? To have more online and more digital experiences when people visit. Um, So the library is really excellent at answering specific research questions. So if you come to the library and you want to know something about a specific topic or you have a specific question, we're really optimized around being able to answer that. But what we're interested in is also serving the people who are curious, people like you, Tom, who just want to know things and don't have a particular um, research question but want to know what the cool stuff is. So one of the projects I'm really excited about is uh, our crowdsourcing application, which you can find at crowd.loc.gov. And what we've done there is put up um, digitized items in the collection. So in the historic collection, um, we scan items by taking a picture of them and putting them online. But because handwriting is not really... Um, machines can't read them. They're not full text searchable. They're not they're not indexable, and they're hard to read. So historic handwriting sometimes can be hard for people to parse. So um, by putting them online and inviting people to help us transcribe them and then check the work of others, we're making that material um, more usable. And but we're also the thing that um, I find the most fun is 
if people want to know what's the cool stuff, they can come to this application and just check out things that we've put online for people to see. So this could be letters and messages of famous people or famous politicians, which were handwritten, and some of them had lousy handwriting. That's right. And in fact, we're, we're launching with a campaign, Letters to Lincoln. Um, and if you're in social media, you can find us at the hashtag Letters to Lincoln. Um, and it's the um, most of the Lincoln papers have been transcribed, but this is the remainder, the, about 28,000 items. Um, and in, it's mostly letters that people wrote to Abraham Lincoln, but it includes some material that he wrote himself, including um, we just found a um, a letter that he wrote to his first fiance. And it's so fun to read his own words in his own hand. Um, so he says um, he writes to her, um, "If you feel any, if you feel yourself in any degree bound to me, I am now willing to release you, provided you wish it." And it gives you a real sense for like the kind of person he was. That reading about him doesn't quite. Yeah, and it's amazing to me that there is still Lincoln material that is unmined after all these years, after a century and a half, and probably seventy-five major uh, biographies of Lincoln have been published. Yeah, I think the thing that's really hard to wrap your head around is how much information is out there. So we, uh, the Library of Congress holds the world's largest collection of personal papers. It is miles um, of shelving, and um, it's just it's so much that it can't even be described at the item level. So that's why we're asking for people's help. All right. And once things are digitized, though, the original is always kept? Yes. Yes, of course, especially for material like Letters written by Abraham Lincoln. Sure. And something I've noticed in the strategy, in the digital strategy, it said that you want to increase support for emerging styles of research. Describe that one, because that seemed to have a lot of digital content to it. Yeah. um, So you can, if you're curious about this, you can learn more at our website, labs.loc.gov. That's where the Library of Congress Lab posts experiments using emerging styles of research. This is an area where people are um, using computational methods to analyze library collections, um, which allows us to do things we were, that were never possible before. So, for example, um, a few months ago, we launched a congressional data challenge. So we asked people to take um, at the congressional information that the Library of Congress publishes. Um, obviously, as, as Congress's library, we have a special role in providing material about the legislative process. And so we challenged people to, to do something creative with that material. Um, we gave a prize for the, for the winner and a, also a prize for um, the best high school project. And actually, we were really pleased to give both prizes to high school students. Um, and the winning, the winning project analyzed treaty information so they they used scripts to analyze the treaties that the United States government had with other countries and visualize it. And that's the sort of thing that we want to help um, encourage. Was that like making a word cloud or how do you visualize a treaty? Um, it It's sort of a, um, a data visualization showing what treaties we've made with what countries on what topic over time. Um, and it was really a new way to view that information that wasn't before possible. Yeah, so the implication is that things that have been around for perhaps centuries, once in digital form, can be looked at in new ways to understand how people thought or the effect of policies earlier in the United States. That's right. And um, one of the, I think, most fun applications of this, and this wasn't at the library, it was at another organization, took a um, a text of book, uh, took a corpus of book text and analyzed how women authors described women and how male authors described women and compared the two. So that the, that information has been around for centuries, but so it provides a new way to analyze that material. All right. Yeah. So new ways of seeing old material, I guess, maybe that's the best way to describe the digital strategy. 
access on one hand, but also new research, new findings, new learnings from old material. That's right. I sort of think of it as unlocking this um, potential energy that has been built up in the archive. And support for emerging styles of research is one pillar. What are a couple of others that people need to know about? Well, we um, we have a new, um, in addition to the new digital strategy, we have a new strategic plan for the library, and that is a user-centered strategic plan. So we're looking to see how we can engage people, how we can invite them into the library, and also invite them into the collections and our services. And so you are looking at user-centered design, customer experience, whatever the buzzword is right now, I think you know what I'm talking about. And what does that entail actually doing to the websites that you have now? That's right. So we have a user experience team. It's led by Natalie Buddha-Smith at the library. She um, is a very strong advocate for user-centered design in the library. Um, And it involves, you know, I think federal agencies all have had this long history of designing websites based on their internal structure. So um, if you go to the Bureau of blah, 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 you have, to anal- you have to understand how they're organized to be able to use that information. And we're in a really exciting moment where we can really rethink how we organize our information from the user's perspective. Well, that means you have to know who your user is. I mean, the knock used to be, say, on a site like the FCC, which was mostly accessed by people in the regulated fields under the FCC, broadcasters and so forth, equipment makers, whatever, they knew the structure of the FCC because it was their business to know that. And when the FCC redid it for the citizen, it made it worse for the people that actually need the site. So how do you know who your audience is? Yeah, that's a challenge. So um, the vision at the Library of Congress is that all Americans are connected with us. um, And designing for all Americans is really challenging. Uh, But I think we have to do it. Um, we have to do it in ways that don't don't make the uh, the user experience don't degrade the user experience for our current expert users as well. Sure. So, in getting to user experience, how do you know that a design is going to work for the people that you intend it to work for? I think hypothesis testing is really necessary. Um, I think the digital field is littered with projects. And hypothesis testing is what? Um, it's where you make an assumption and then test it. Um, the digital field is littered with projects that we thought were good ideas. Um, and I'm really happy to be at a moment in the field where we kind of know a little bit better, right? And we know that just because it seems like a good idea to us, you know, we're nerds. We're a little bit different than most people. So we need to make sure that people really do find it interesting. So trying things in small ways, seeing if the demand is there, seeing if it's workable. And that's what the Library of Congress Labs team is all about. So we, um, the purpose of the team is to pilot ideas, see if... Um, it's sustainable, see how it works in our environment, and then to move it into production if it's, a, if it's a success. Well, would you pull people off the street, so to speak, and say, look, we're going to look at Lincoln's letters or something and see how they navigate what you've built, and then you are ready to rebuild it depending on how lost they get, or say, yeah, let's go, depending on how well they do. Yeah, I think talking, I mean, not not really actually buttonholing people from the street because I'm pretty sure that's a felony, but um, um, but talking to actual users is really important. Um, not imagining what users want, but actually talking to them and seeing how they use things and seeing what they're interested in is so important. And for all these digital initiatives, it sounds like you're going to need new applications. And what's the approach to building those? Yeah, the library is really committed to an agile software development um, approach. Um, and I think the crowd.lock.gov um, development team w- was a shining example of that. 
And in fact, the the code is open source. So it's on GitHub, and we are really hoping that people adopt it. And so you get can get a flavor of the development environment that we were working in as we were making this. Um, very connected to users, very connected to folks in, um, in um, subject matter expertise in the library, working as one team. Yeah, what are some of the applications, examples of the types of applications that you need for a digital library? So in addition to the website, we have... Um, a comprehensive catalog of all the holdings in the library. So you might remember using your card catalog in your home library, but libraries now do that online. So as you know, you search it. Um, we have a one of the biggest installations of one of those uh, applications at the library and also ones for tracking our archival collections. Yeah, I imagine that's a little more subtle to develop than it sounds. I mean, the card catalog was one of the great mechanical pieces of human ingenuity I think a lot of libraries burned their card collections because there was nothing to do with them. One of the great intellectual losses, in my personal opinion. (laughs) But, you know, you don't browse racks anymore. Nobody uses Dewey Decimal to find nearby subjects and all of this because books are all stored according to physical size. And developing a catalog for the collection, to me, it seems like it would be harder to do than it is to say. Well, I'm so thrilled that you think that. Um, I really think that going to your local library and browsing the books by the Dewey Decimal System is one of my fondest memories. So when I was a kid, I was really into like rocks and gems and like, um, you know, geology. And I remember being in the um, that section of the, of the library and it bringing me to philosophy and philosophy of science and that you sort of explore your own interests by what's next to where you are. And um, we have an innovator in residence at the Library of Congress right now. His name is Jer Thorpe. And he's really interested in how do you encourage that sort of serendipity in a closed stack library, as you say. And so he has a number of tools on the lab site that help people explore the collections in serendipitous ways. I mean, there might be ways from digital shopping that can be adapted to library. You know, when you go shopping, it says, well, others like this or that. Uh, You might like this product or that product that's adjacent to this product. Maybe there's algorithms there that you could bring in? Yeah, for sure. Um, So right now when you're on the website at loc.gov, it suggests other things you might like. Um, libraries are very careful about user using user information. Um, we take patron confidentiality really carefully, so it complicates our ability to create those algorithms because we can't use the kind of data that some of the commercial providers are using. But we're very interested in helping draw people into the collections by showing them windows into other things they might be interested in. And are you also doing projects to enhance the experience of internal users at the LOC, researchers and so forth that actually serve Congress? Yeah, I think library staff is is core on our mind. Um, I am constantly inspired by the energy and enthusiasm our library our librarians have for serving uh, the researchers, and they. Um, are always asking me, what can I do to improve my digital skills? What can I do to um, try new things? And we want to make sure that we are providing the scaffolding and support that they need to do the, to do that. And have any members of Congress actually noticed any of this? I mean, they're the ultimate consumers in some sense of what the Library of Congress does. So Their yeah, name's in it. Yesterday we had um, an, this event at the library. It was the 155th anniversary of the uh, Gettysburg um the Gettysburg Address. All 283 words of it. That's right. That's right. And to celebrate, we had an in-person transcribathon for the letters to Lincoln. And I was really thrilled to see that a member of Congress tweeted about it and shared it with his constituents 
Additionally, a few members have asked us to come in and talk about the work we're doing. They're really excited to see the digital direction the library is taking and the user-centered direction. We're really thrilled to have their support. And I must ask you, what is the technical underpinning of all of this? Are you in the cloud with the digital collections? Are you in some old government data center? How does that all work? Well, a little bit of a mix, actually. So um, the crowdsourcing application that I just mentioned is is entirely in the cloud. But we also um, have a real need to make sure that we have a copy in our in our hands. I think um, trusting all of all of our assets to uh, a cloud provider, I, I don't think that the, our staff would feel very comfortable with that. But serving things in a modern way that's scalable is something that we're aggressively moving towards. Yes, because as you get to more digital access by citizens looking at this stuff, years ago, agencies would use a content delivery network, which had servers all over the country. I think the cloud has maybe replaced some of that because clouds are geographically dispersed and you don't have to worry about the technicals of it. So is that part of the thinking? For sure, for sure. And also the um, the scalability that you get on demand. So if we have a big news story about one of our products or um, for some reason usage spikes with the cloud, we have the ability to add new servers on the fly and react to that demand. Um, with you know With metal in the basement, it's harder to be that flexible. And I have to ask you, looking at the digital strategy online, it was interspersed with amazing pieces of artwork. Tell us about the art and how and how you digitize it. We have this amazing prints and photographs collection, um, which you, a lot of which you can see online. Um, and the items in the digital strategy were chosen by our user experience team, actually, to help um, illustrate the digital strategy itself. Um, and I also want to mention that those are free to use and reuse. And so we have a section on the website, actually, on the front page that shows free to use and reuse. That's one of the things that we're trying to convey to folks, which is we, we have books, we have personal papers, but we also have this beautiful, we have artwork and maps and other items that might be useful to you in, in your everyday life. If you have a PowerPoint presentation that you need to do for work, or if you are looking for a new embroidery pattern or other creative applications, there's so much here that is ready for you to use. Kate Ward is Director of Digital Strategy at the Library of Congress. We'll post the interview in its entirety at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive at iTunes or Podcast One.